So we pick it up tonight in chapter 23, looking at uh, Josiah. And we had the great King Hezekiah. We've done three topicals on Hezekiah on Saturday night. But tonight, we pick it back up on Josiah, because last week in chapter 22, Josiah became the king at the age of eight, after Amnon and uh, Manasseh, the terrible kings that preceded him. And he's a fantastic king. He lived to the age of 39. He had just an incredible ministry. He's the last great king for the southern kingdom of Judah. And his timeline is, you know, the, around 600 B.C. And he's this last great king of the kings of Judah. There were 20 kings in the kings of, of the kings of Judah. And so he would be king number 16 of those kings. And he's a good one and a great one. In fact, all others are compared to him, including Hezekiah. And he matches up like Hezekiah with the great King David, the second of all the kings of Israel. So we pick it up where he is cleaned out the temple. He's been uh, restoring the temple from the damage that Manasseh did. And they found the book of the law, the Old Testament. The, uh, the prophetess Hilda gave a word, an oracle to Josiah about what the meant, what the word of the law meant for him, the people. And basically they were guaranteed pending judgment on the nation of the southern kingdom. But Josiah was a good guy. God recognized his humble heart and he would live a good life. We didn't know how long it's going to be. It was 39 years and he would not see the destruction in his timeline. That's where he left off. So now in chapter 23, verse 1, we read, Now the king sent them, uh, that is the, the, these other leaders, to gather all the elders of Judah to Jerusalem and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. This is amazing three verses right here. After all the evil that Manasseh did for 55 years, and then Amnon for only a couple, there's this second great revival, like the one that Hezekiah had, and it's now being led by Josiah. And we talked about how his good decisions just built upon one after another. And though we didn't read it in 2 Kings last week, we know that Chronicles, it tells us even a lot more about Josiah, that he made a commitment to the Lord when he was 16. Same age. Actually, I met Pastor Matt's son from Shoreline here after service Saturday night, and he said he was 16. And I said to him, hey, are, are you working on your driver's test? He goes, I'm taking it in a couple weeks. That's what you do at 16, right? Like you're thinking about driving a car, having that freedom. And Pastor Matt's son, it was great. Just connect right away with the 16-year-old and what that looks like. And some of you can remember that. And some of you might see that with your kids and grandkids in your future. That's when Josiah got serious with the Lord. He became king at 8, but he became serious and made a commitment to the Lord at 16. At 20, he found the courage, college age, junior college, about the age you're at when you're at OCC in the second year of getting your GE or an associate of arts. He said, I've, I've got the courage now to go after all the idols and the bad things in the land. I'm going to go out there and start tearing some things down that are offensive to the Lord. He found the courage to find that identity we talk about for what he was against. And he went after it, and he did it. 
Then at 26, this, this was the story of the text last week. He said, let's clean out the temple and all the message there from Manasseh. And in doing so, they found this book of the law. They found a complete copy of what we studied during COVID and just before COVID. We began the book of Genesis in July of 2019, six months before the COVID crisis came upon us. By the time COVID was in full force and we weren't able to be in the sanctuary, we were in Exodus, if you recall. So those books, and then we studied Leviticus outside, came back inside for Numbers and Deuteronomy. And what an experience that was, right? Pre-COVID, indoors with no one here and me dancing around, and then outside with helicopters and all the street noise and the motorcycles and all that, and then back inside, and, well, we survived it, right? That's how we studied these same books. We studied the... WG, we studied these same books during COVID as a church family. Isn't that amazing? These same five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's these books, this book of the law. And so they found these same books under the crisis of their time. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about this? So, so the prophetess Hulda has spoken. Doom is coming. We know it's going to come in 13 years because he's 26 and he dies at 39. And as soon as he dies, it's game on for unrestrained evil and the centuries of bad decisions coming upon Judah for their sins. There's a 13-year window for some really good things to happen. What are you going to do? Well, look what he does. He gathers the leaders, all the people, everybody. He brings everybody to Jerusalem. He says, listen, we're going to read this to everybody. He read the law. He gave them God's word. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, right? We say Genesis Revelation. He gave them what he had. Genesis to Deuteronomy. He gave them the law. Young and old, male and female, he gave it to the people. And the king stood there and he led by example. He had the pillar and he he made a covenant with the Lord. So here's great leadership, obviously. He made a covenant that he's going to follow the Lord and to keep the commandments of his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart, of his soul to perform them. The totality of who he is. Heart and soul. I mean, New Testament tells us we're spirit, mind, and body. We have a spirit, or mind, our body. Heart and soul. You know, our inner woman, our inner man. Wow, all of our mind. You know, Jesus said you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes it gets a little blurred in the lines between those things, but we are three-dimensional as God's universe is and as he is triune in his nature as well, Father, Son, and Spirit. And basically, Josiah's at 26, because now he's not, you know, he's not the guy at junior college at 26. He's a man. And he says, listen, this is the way it is on my watch. This is the way it is on my watch. We all are going to study the word of God together. All of it. The parts we like and the parts we don't like. The parts that uh, comfort us and the parts that exhort us and challenge us. We're told in the New Testament when a when someone prophesies, they speak words of encouragement, uh, comfort, and exhortation. Edification, comfort, exhortation. And that's what, the God, that's what God's word does. We're told in 2 Timothy, it's given to us that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it, it gives us instruction. It gives us reproof. But it sets the man and the woman of God on course to obey the Lord. And so here it was. They couldn't know what they're going to be looking at in 13 years. They had there and then. They had that moment. And Josiah is going to influence the people for good. He's going to inspire and influence the people for good. He's going to give them the whole counsel of God. 
It's like when Paul stood before the Ephesian elders and he said to them, I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I'm going to give it to you all. And there is a simplicity in God's word. Being in ministry for 35 years almost now, you hear people say like, well, what about this verse? Or they call, you know, Bible answer man or pastor's perspective. And they had these kind of obscure texts and they get all caught up on them. I'm like, listen, man, I tell people, those, the odd texts never give me trouble. It's the Ten Commandments give me trouble. It's forgiving my neighbor that gives me trouble. I mean, the obvious things give me trouble. I don't have time to worry about the first rain, the latter rain, and the one that comes in between. The human experience is challenging enough just to be clinging to the Lord because he's our life and length of our days and to choose and purpose to do the right thing and see how that plays out on a day-to-day basis, right? Yes and amen, right? I mean, for real. So he just gave him the word. We can't, we can't change what Manasseh did before us, and we can't be concerned about what Zedekiah is going to do after us. We have today, this moment, with the Lord, our loved ones, and the church family, to hear the word and obey the word. And I want to inspire you with the word, and I want you to be inspired by the word. I want you to inspire your marriages with the word. I want you to inspire your children with the word. I want you to speak and inspire your grandchildren with the word, your neighbor with the word. I just want to see, like, the blessings of the word coming from you to humanity in our lives. That's the church. That's who we are in 2023, and that's who we want to be. We want to inspire people by the truth of God's word. We don't have to get worked up for the truth. We don't have to defend the truth. We just need to speak and live the truth because it's always going to be the truth. And that's what he did. What an inspiration to the people. We pick it up now in verse 4. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for the host of heaven. Now, let me just say this really quick. When we read this passage right now, we're going to read it, it's almost like we're, we're on a road trip and we're driving through Indiana on the 70. There's not a lot to see, or, or actually be Kansas on the 70. And there's not a lot to see, but I want you to see it because it's recorded for us. And Josiah, like we did this with Hezekiah, he's going to be identified by what he's against. And I said before, I want to be identified by what I'm for, but by being for life, you're against death. By being for light, you are against darkness. Yeah, I mean, that's... You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. So here we see, apart from reading the word, now he's going to go out and lead the people. And as he dismantles things, burns things, grinds them to powder, throws them in the brook Kidron and other things, realize this. This is how extensive the, the sin was amongst the people in their culture. And he's going to cleanse it. He's going to get all of it. So just take it in and think about what kind of man or woman it would take to have this kind of courage to take this kind of stand. So we pick it again. He, he bring out of the temple of the, of the Lord. So they had the altars to Baal in the temple of the Lord. That's crazy. For Asherah and for the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, to all the hosts of heaven. He, he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem. He burned it up at the brook Kidron, ground it to ash, threw its ash on the graves of the common people. He held them accountable. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord. So this is 
prostitution, uh, same-sex prostitution, probably opposite-sex prostitution in the temple. Were the, woman wove, were the women wove hangings for the wooden images? It's speculated by many Bible commentators that these are like curtains that hid the evil going on behind the curtains. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense. So instead of defiling the things of the Lord, he defiled the things that were against the Lord, which is beautiful. Where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba, that's going south toward modern Gaza. He also broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which which were the the left of the city gate. That's where they're positioned. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. So in other words, those compromising priests that just did what the people wanted, he's like, you don't even come here. Just, you're a Levite, whatever, just don't even come here. You just live out your life, do your thing. Verse 10. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of Son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So no more emphasize in idolatrous worship. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech. The officers who were in the court, he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, so that, you remember Ahaz, he was really evil. He was Hezekiah's dad, and he was terrible. That evidently had been there since he was king, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there. And he threw their dust in the brook Kidron. So all these things have been allowed generationally and by these different kings. He's like, it's got to go. Verse 13. Then the king defiled, defiled the high places which were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abominations of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Amnon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. So these are all false gods of the surrounding people that Solomon had erected their statues for his many wives who worshipped them. And therefore, this had been allowed for centuries. And he was taken on the sin of centuries. What a guy. Verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel in the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had made in Israel, so now he's going out of Jerusalem, had made both the altar and the high place. He broke that down. He burned the high place, he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountains, and he, he sent them and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar, and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the ministry told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things, which you have done against the altar of Bethel. Pause for a second, verse 17. Now, if you remember, back in early on in Kings, after Solomon died in the divided kingdom, Rehoboam's reigning in the south, the son of Solomon, Jeroboam's in the north, and he built the altar of false worship. And God sent a prophet up there to rebuke the false priests who were doing the work. And he told, and the prophet said, hundreds of years from now, a man will arise named Josiah who will come and burn the bones of these men on the altar. And that's exactly what happened here. And this just reminds us in biblical prophecy, just because it doesn't have, hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. It's all going to happen. And the Lord says, put me to the test. I tell you the future before it happens, and that's how you know I'm the Lord. So this is one of those amazing fulfillments of prophecy 
from within the scriptures being fulfilled by the scriptures. And you know, like, you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time, 24 hours a day, to a week, to a month, to the seasons, to a year, to a decade, to 50 years in a, in a, in a century. God's outside of time. That's what Second Peter reminds us of, that God is not bound by time. It is, like I said the other night, like the Chronicles of Narnia, where when the kids in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis book, they, they leave London, and they go, they may be like a year older in London, but when they go back to Narnia, it's been 2,000 years, right? Like, that's how it is with the Lord. Like, he's Aslan the lion in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, in the Chronicles of Narnia. That's Jesus in C.S. Lewis' famous book. But Aslan comes and goes over thousands of years in Narnia, even as Peter and Lucy and the lot, Susan, they come and go as well. And that's how the Lord is. So in the human experience, it's been like 300 years since this event happened where the prophet came up. Remember, then he did what he wasn't supposed to do and he got, eaten by, he got attacked by the lion, but he, his, he died, but his body wasn't devoured by the lion. And hey, nobody gets away with anything. Let God be true and every man a liar. And all the promises are yes and amen. And if God says around... 920 BC that a man named Josiah is going to come to this place hundreds of years later and scatter the bones and the ash of these evil men upon that altar then in 620 BC it's going to happen the generation that heard that prophecy didn't get to see it they heard it like oh, and that crazy prophet then he got struck down and they buried the prophets together like what was that all about hey listen like I was saying earlier, it's not about what we don't understand what it's all about. It's what we do understand. And that altar was offensive to the Lord. Those priests were offensive to the Lord. And God said, you watch. Josiah will come. And here he comes. God's word always shows itself and proves itself. So it happened just as he's proclaiming these words. So the men of the city, verse 17, still so the men of the city, it is, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things uh, which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the king of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. So see, now he's cleaning up the northern kingdom stuff that's left behind. And he did to them according to all the deeds he'd done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altar and burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. So even though he didn't rule over the northern kingdom per se, remember it was the people that had been, the Assyrians had relocated people there and then taken the northern kingdom away and relocated them in modern like Kurdis, where the Kurds all lived near Turkey and northern Iraq and all that. He's going for it. That's what we really see here. He's going for it. By the time he comes back to Jerusalem, everyone's like, man, wow. So Josiah was like, legit, this is a real deal. This guy is like, I just wonder how many people really realize this is the greatest king of 39 kings after Solomon died in the divided kingdom, even more so than Hezekiah. He's the greatest. Now we get the Passover. Now, when we get to Chronicles later this year, we will do a deeper look at Josiah, Hezekiah's Passover and Josiah's Passover, but we still get a, a, an abbreviated version of it here, so let's look at this. Verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God, 
as it is written in the book of the covenant, such a Passover surely has never been held since the days of the judges. So that's the book of Judges, right? Who judged Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists and the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there had been no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did anyone arise like him. Isn't that awesome? Gosh, wouldn't it just be beautiful like to have the Holy Spirit summarize our life and say those kind of things? Ladies, gentlemen, young and old alike. Like, I say this a lot, but when you go to memorial, people get up and say stuff about your life, right? Especially if you got like an open mic or whatever. And sometimes you don't know what they're going to say, but they say what they're going to say. But usually a, a close family member and maybe the pastor, if you knew the people, they can say things and they're true. And they say, you want to emphasize the good, like what they did and Especially with the Lord, right? Like we've all been, most of us have been in memorials where someone didn't serve the Lord and people just get up and say things that are like, wow, it's kind of sad, you know? But with the Lord, you can say beautiful things. But to have the Holy Spirit say this, that, that you, that me, that us, that we, turn to the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might. And we did all law of Moses, so that it could be for us that we did like all that the word of God would say in walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, clinging to the Lord, abiding in Christ, praying with the power of heaven. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. And then, you know, you have my word in you. So the word guides us in how to pray, John 15 there in that passage. And then he's like, and you'll bear fruit. And you didn't choose me, I chose you, that your fruit would remain. And then he talks about love, that love is the ultimate element and evidence of that fruit. Greater love has no man than this and lay down his life for his friends. Like, that's, that's, that's us. This, that's us with this text. As disciples of Jesus Christ in 2023, that's us. That the Lord can look upon us and he might, of course, we're not a king or a queen, but we're daughters and sons of the king, so we're prince and princesses. But that that with what we knew, that we made progressive good decisions, compound effect of those decisions at, at 16, at 20, at 26, and so on and so forth, that we just went for it. And as you, you just keep tilting the scale in a good way for the good things of the Lord, and you you're really is all. This chapter started out with all, 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 all the people, all the men, all the citizens, all this and all that, and then now we're going to serve the Lord with all of our heart, and we're going to obey all the covenant. And so you start out with all, you keep going forward with all. Hey, isn't it a beautiful thing to step in eternity with all? Like if you're all in at this age and you can be all in when you're older and you can finish all in. I was visiting my dad today and I took the, uh, that Bible promise book that Keith Randolph gave me, you know, who wrote the book 100 Secrets of Success. And he gave it to me. It's living Bible version. And I thought, what can I read my dad? I'm not going to really read him the Proverbs because, like, he's already lived his life. He's 92. So the practical application of Proverbs wouldn't apply to my, life, my dad's life that way. I'm like, well, I need to build conversation with my dad in memory care. So I'm going to take this promised Bible. 
And I went to be for believe. You know, as I began to read just these promises about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved, my dad started talking about different things and we got conversation going and things that test our faith. It was amazing. And here's what I thought. Of course, I'm thinking about my dad, but then I thought, well, I hope someone comes to me when I'm 92 if I'm 92 and they read me the promised Bible. Isn't that awesome? Like, I hope someone does that for me. And the chances are greater if you do it for someone that they might do it for you. Because what you put in is what you get out. What you sow is what you reap. Everything you're sowing, you're going to be reaping. But I thought, oh, this is so cool. Because it's stimulating conversation. And I thought, you know, when I'm at the end of my journey... I hope one of my kids or grandkids will come and read to me the Promise Bible and and read verses about believing. I can tell them, even if I'm kind of fuzzy from, you know, dementia or whatever, I can still tell them things about what I believed in, what God did, and and the things we did with the Lord. A, if he has all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might today, then I'm feeling good about 92 in memory care. And you can too. Verse 26, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the fierceness of his great wrath, which his anger was aroused against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city which I've chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And in his day, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went up against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo, that's the valley of Armageddon, which he, when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Well, here's a couple things that get our attention. We've seen that he was all in. His identity of removal, crush, crush it and burn it like we saw with Hezekiah. And then this, this great event with the Passover, all in, inspired and leading. But here we realize in verses 26 through 30, a sobering reality that Some things, they're not fixable. Some things under God's wrath, some things under God's chastening, and some things under justice of the Lord in his universe, they're going to be what they're going to be. And all the good that you and I can do in the name of Jesus on planet Earth from here to eternity, it benefits our soul, our heart, our might. It benefits our loved ones. It benefits our neighbors, and it benefits here and now. Here and now, January 31st, 2023, it benefits the people that our life and fingerprints touch. But all the good that the church can do in our generation today may not stave off and hold off the wrath of God, the chastening of God, and the justice of God upon the tomorrow of future generations of people we love and care about. And that's the reality of this text. All the good of the best king ever did not stop the wheels of justice in God's perfect justice that had to take place in time, space, and matter upon these people. 
This is rather liberating in, in a lot of ways if you think about it because whatever God has for America, we are decreasing in, in our global power position. We realize that. China's rising. There's different players. But we are much weaker as a global power than we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That's, that's so provable that there's, no one should really refute that. And we know there's been like 38 great kingdoms in human history from the dawn of creation that come and go. I mean, again, the Mongols at one time ruled the planet, right? You just never know how it all comes and goes in the ebb and flow of the human experience. But this just really encourages me in a good way because you know what? What's going to be is going to be. And how I die is how I die. And when I'm gone is when I'm gone and I'm in glory. So it really isn't about like what, what I mean, we'll do the best we can to for right now and the people we love and the generation we leave behind and the generation behind them, even the generation behind them. But in the end, we're not going to be given account for that. We're going to give an account for here and now, this day. Here and now. And that's, isn't that beautiful? Because that's what we have control over in a sense. That's what we have self-determination in. See, if we choose to make the right decisions here and now, the blessing is there for you and for me and all the people we love. We have here and now. That's why Jesus said, sufficient is the trouble for today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest will take care of itself. We have today. We have here and now. And whatever God's going to do, you know, Billy Graham warned America about its future. Jerry Falwell warned America about its future. Lots of wonderful men and women who love the Lord. Amy Semper Fi. They've warned America about their future and their eternity. Chuck, Pastor Chuck, warned the world about the future of America and the consequences of what we've done. And you know what? We're still here. And we're still enjoying freedom. And we're still enjoying a great quality of life that most people in the world would love to come here don't pay attention to people who say they're going to leave here. Everyone who still wants to come here. We can't be distraught by all these things we have no control over. Ours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And ours is the stewardship of our calling, our faith, and our focus And this day. That's Josiah. Now, we're told... In Chronicles, now there's so much history behind the events we're going to read here in just a moment. But one of the historical events, there's all kinds of archaeological writings that confirm all these things we're about to read. And the book of Jeremiah and all these things. It's just time does not permit to really go all in with this stuff. But Egypt had a moment of power. In Assyria's weakness, there's a vacuum. And Israel's in the middle of all the Fertile Crescent power mongers. And as Assyria faded, what we read about with Hezekiah, Egypt had a little, little renovate, like a little rebound, you know, a little revival before Babylon, Babylon came to power. So Egypt flexes its muscle, and they're, they're aligning with Assyria to go this way against Babylon. And, in the, and I mean, it's like pre-World I allegiances, pre-World War II allegiances, and post-World War II allegiances. People shift their allegiances all the time. Countries that were for each other or against each other are now for each other. That's how it goes, like the best deal. And that's what you got going here. So Pharaoh Necho had some power. And we're told in Chronicles, he warned Josiah, I'm the Lord's servant, don't mess with me. And Josiah went out there and messed with him and died. So a lot of people say like, well, Josiah died in disobedience to the Lord. Let me me just ask you this in case you ever hear that. Let me just ask you this. Why would Josiah ever think that Pharaoh Necho was speaking for the Lord? 
I just see Josiah, the land belongs to Israel, and he's going forward with the Lord at 39. He's like, hey, we've cleaned the land. We've done this. We've done that. We've read the law. We have a covenant. That's Egypt. This is what God gave us. And I'm alive. I know it's going to be bad after I'm gone, but I'm alive today, and we're going for this in Megiddo. And he died. So the narrative by the Holy Spirit tells us that Josiah was warned. So if he was in disobedience, (laughs) he made a bad decision his last day. I've made lots of bad decisions in 2022, and I'm sure you did too. Still, though, all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his might. That's the real legacy. Because a panorama of a life well lived stands in contrast to a bad moment, a bad day. See, failure doesn't make us a failure. Failure is an event. And going forward with the Lord, we learn from failure and we grow and we get better. Unless in this case, if that's his failure, it's his entry into eternity. Still, I'd rather go into eternity charging forward against a guy that has no business in the promised land than to just roll over and bow down to the altars of Baal. And I don't know. He was going to die because God's judgment is coming and his end came at 39. He, he has to be out of the way for the judgment to come into play. And this is just the way it works. There's so much we don't know in the sovereignty of God, that's for sure. But what we self-determine is, are we going to be all of our soul, all of our heart, and all of our might? And by the way, when he stepped into eternity, that was the end of the blessing. Because there was blessings on everybody when Josiah is alive. He's a leader and he's a blesser, and he's also a restraint. And once he dies, uh, it's, well, now we get the last of the Judah kings. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. It's like a ride at Six Flags. Here we go. I'm going to read some text here. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land tribute of 100 talents of silver and talents of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah. So the one brother got swapped out for the other. Changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So the one brother that was evil died in Egypt. And the other brother had a name change. He's evil, and he's now the king. So Jehoiakim gave, verse 35, the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold from the people and the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years. So the brother, two months, he got like 11 years. In Jerusalem, his, another, his mother's name was Zubua, the daughter of Pedadiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now, in those days, chapter 24, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, that is, Nebuchadnezzar, and the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon, and he sent them against Judah to destroy it. So these are from the Lord. These are chastening instruments of the Lord according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh. So now the second time we saw that last chapter, that Manasseh's sins were so far reaching, 
It still carries decades after he died. According to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood which he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. So though Manasseh found forgiveness from his sins, WG, the blood that he shed did not. It's on everybody. Verse 5. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. So this would now be Josiah's grandson. And the king of Egypt did not come out of the land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook Egypt to the river Euphrates. And as I was saying, there's always a bigger fish, right? Yeah, here comes Nebuchadnezzar, and Egypt's no match for Nebuchadnezzar. So, verse 8, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Neshutah, the daughter of Elanathan of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servant, his princes, his officers, went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried him out from there all the treasures, and he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon the king had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen and smiths, so the skilled people, skillful labor. None remained except the poorest people of the land, and he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty men of the land. He carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And of course, Babylon's modern Iraq. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Then the king of Babylon made Mahatanah, Jeconiah's uncle. So see, now we're going back up a future generation to another one of the sons of Josiah. So made him king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. This is the name, remember, this guy is the worst. Zedekiah is the worst. He was Jeremiah the prophet's adversary. He's all over the book of Jeremiah. Verse 18. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Humatah, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast him out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. All right, so now we've gone through these four kings, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. These are the final kings of Judah, these descendants of Josiah, and ultimately David. Now, this first verse tells about when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, and we know now, so we can read in chapter 25, we'll wrap this up, but the d- destruction of Jerusalem, was th- it had three segments, okay? So 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and 587 B.C. These are facts. If we all went on a field trip to the British Museum of History we could go see the Babylonian tablets that describe these three different sieges and captivity and being taken away by the Babylonians of Judah. We have extra biblical records of this. What we're reading right now in the Word of God is in the British History Museum from the Babylonian record. In fact, archaeologists discovered 
arrowheads, uh, burnt remains, and even Greek shields from the battles that went on between Egypt, Necho, and Nebuchadnezzar in this timeline. So Nebuchadnezzar was all over the Fertile Crescent at this time, expanded his, his kingdom, and the fall of Jerusalem came in those three waves. That first wave is when Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and those guys were taken into captivity. That's, they're the, so when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, the way the siege was, it wasn't an all-out siege, no one in, no one out. It's more like the Warsaw Ghetto, the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw with the Nazis. People could come in and out, but they were slowly starving them out like a python strangling is what they did. And in the book of Jeremiah, we read that God told the people, submit to Nebuchadnezzar and you'll live. And because of that message, Zedekiah attacked Jeremiah and persecuted him. But that was God's plan. So people defected, they obeyed the Lord and the word of Jeremiah, and they left Jerusalem and they surrendered to Babylon. They then, with Daniel and those guys, went into captivity in Babylon. And then Jeremiah the prophet was led to make the prophecy to those in Babylon, and it's in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Daniel, that you'll be in Babylon for 70 years because the land owes me 70 Sabbaths for the people not obeying me and keeping the Sabbath year for all this time they've been in the promised land. And he told them in Jeremiah 29, you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. It'll be good for you in Babylon. It will work out well for you. It's all good. But plant vineyards, get married, have kids, have grandkids. 70 years. It's how long my people. See, the big difference between Israel, the northern tribes, and Judah is the northern tribes were scattered, never to be heard from again. But the tribe of Judah is the line of David for Jesus to come. Both the legal line through Joseph, his stepdad, and the biological line through Mary the Virgin, both descendants of, of David. And God preserved their identity, their DNA, their ethnicity in their captivity. And he'll bring them back, and we'll see it when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. He brings them back. That's important to note, WG. This is very different than those northern tribes going into obscurity. The plan for the southern tribes is quite different. But the one common denominator, starting with Jehoahaz, with these four kings, is evil, 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 consequence, consequence, consequence. Now we finish it up tonight, chapter 25. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month of the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine, it became so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were still encamped all around the city, the king, the kings, and the kings went by the way of the plain. So they escaped, and they went, they went to the uh, east, toward, down toward Jericho and the Dead Sea in that area. So they escaped into that plain, but, verse 5, the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All of his army was scattered from him. Everyone just went their own way. And so they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of king of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, that's the temple, and the king's house. 
all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebzeron, then Nebzerodon, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. And that's what Jeremiah told them to do. Jeremiah the prophet, in the book of Jeremiah, he told the people, defect to Babylon, obey the Lord, defect, submit to Babylon, you will live. But Zedekiah was against the Lord, against Jeremiah, and that was the real battle. That whole story unfolds in great detail in the book of Jeremiah. Verse 12, But the captain of the guard left some of the poor in the land as vine dressers and farmers, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their, the bronze to, the, to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, all the bronze utensils which the priests ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver. The captain of the guard took them away. The two pillars, the one sea, the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. The capital was on, was on the bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. The network, the pomegranates, all around the capital were all on the bronze. The second pillar was the same with the network. Now, stop there for just a second. Back in Kings, we read about when Solomon built all this. That was beautiful. It was described in beauty. God gave them beauty, but their sin brought them disaster. What a dark, dark, difficult day this was. Verse 18. And the captain of the guard took Sarai, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war. Five men of the king's close associates were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebzu Rondon, the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon instructed then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. That is such a powerful verse, that last one. Because for Zedekiah, the last thing he sees is his sons executed before his eyes. That's the last image he saw. Then his eyes are gouged out, so now he's blind. So his last image is his sons being killed. Then the smell of smoke, all Jerusalem's, the temples burned, the walls are broken down. Now, the beauty of the Lord is he restores things. So the book of Ezra is rebuilding the temple. The book of Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. So we get, we get, we get a happy ending when we get to those books. Because God's always moving like this, like we were talking about. And the hands of justice, they move and work. You know, he warned them in the law that this is exactly what would happen. And he warns the entire planet Earth, in Christ, you repent of your sins and you find salvation. For as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Not born of the flesh, not born of the will of man, but born of God. But he warns us, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, the wrath of God abides upon him. And the gospel message is the same warning for all human history on this planet. And that's why the church goes out with the Great Commission. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we make disciples. That's why we're moved with the Great Commission. Because in Christ, all live, and outside of Christ, all are perishing. The same warning in principle hangs over this planet. This is a living hell for Zedekiah. 
death of his sons, loses eyesight, the smell of his house going up in smoke, and then this final verse, the final mic drop on him is, they all left their homeland. Can you imagine someone doing that to you in, in your life? Like your, your children, then your eyes, then your home, your wealth, and then you're forced out of the United States of America. Well, let me say this because I thought about this. I have some thoughts about this because I've thought this through. The big difference between you and I seeking the Lord tonight and Zedekiah is we're seeking the Lord tonight. And we have people like Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego and Esther, women, men, who obeyed the Lord as they understood it in their generation and trusted the Lord when they were taken away. And I, this is my thought. If I lose my children, if I lose my sight, and I lose my house, and I lose my assets, and I lose my American citizenship, let it be because Jesus Christ took it from me to prepare me for eternity, not because I fought against the Lord. Amen? This is Zedekiah fighting against the Lord. Job essentially lost all the same stuff, but he loved the Lord, and the Lord restored it. So it's not really whether the thing you fear the most came upon you, what Job said, or upon Zedekiah. It's like Josiah, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And you don't need to fear this day. Think of all the good people that love Jesus who lost everything in Europe between 1932 and 1942. Or even lived to see it, try and rebuild it under Soviet communism with the Iron Curtain and the West. I just, I read stuff like this. I go, this is so sad. And I just tell myself, you know what? If it ever happened to me, let it not be because my heart was wrong with the Lord and it's a consequence of my sin, but let my faith show itself triumphant in that day. And that's the history of the church and the people of faith before the church. Because again, Ezra, Esther, well, Ezra is later, but Esther is later, but she still grew up in captivity, as did Ezra, as did Nehemiah. It's, Gail Irwin said to me years ago, the famous pastor that Pastor Chuck loved so much, Gail Irwin, he said to me, Joey, it's not where you are, but it's who you are. I was double clutching about moving to Vermont. I said, yeah, I'm just not sure like now about moving to Vermont. And he said, Joey, it doesn't matter where you are. What matters is who you are. So it doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or you're in Babylon. What matters is who you are, where you are. It's not the geography, but it's the heart of who you are in that place. Now we close it out. Verse 22. Then he made, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he made Yeladiah the son of Akim, the son of Shapha, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now, when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, Johanan the son of Kariah, Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Nephethite, Jazaniah, the son of Machathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said, do not, be af- do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. 
And that is a consistent word of the Lord, by the way, WG, body of Christ. That is what Jeremiah said. That, it was still there for them. The scarlet thread with Jesus Christ was still there for them right now. The choice of faith, the choice of obedience, it was right there. Right there, even after all that, it's still right there in front of them. Verse 25, but it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishahama of the royal family, he came with ten men and he struck and killed Gedaliah. The Jews, as well as the Chaldeans, who were with him at Mizpah. And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies, arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Let me just say this. Jeremiah has a lot to say about this. When they fled to Egypt, they asked Jeremiah, what should we do? And he said, stay here. God says stay here, but you're not going to obey me because you don't ask me sincerely. You're going to go to Egypt no matter what, but you need to stay here. So even after this, after the assassination, they're all moved by fear. Jeremiah offered them faith. He offered them faith. They went to Egypt. They perished in Egypt. They took Jeremiah with them. Jeremiah's just along for the ride, but it's not where you are. It's who you are. Now, it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim. (laughs) There he is again. (laughs) He's back in the scene. Back in the news, king of Judah in the 12th month of the 27th day of the month, that evil Mordech, or which means man Mordech, the king of Babylon, so new king, in the year that he began to reign, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison, spoke kindly to him, gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provision, there was a regular ration given him by the king a portion for each day, all the days of his life. <laughs> so go figure that one. You know, some people just find mercy because God shows them mercy and he found it. But again, it's, it's the end, it's the end of, the, of this whole generation. But I leave us with the hope of the stories of Jeremiah and his faithfulness, Ezekiel in captivity and his faithfulness, Daniel in captivity and his friends and their faithfulness, and then the wonderful stories of Ezra coming back, Nehemiah rebuilding, and Esther risking her life to save her people. It's always about who we are. All the other stuff, what can you do? As I used to tell my son when he played baseball and they're losing by 15, 20 runs, which they did more than once, hey, you run to first base like you're the winning run. Yeah. Because we do it as unto the Lord. Always for the glory of Christ. 